Good greetings in the Master's name. And I, I do want to say that I, it really encourages me. I, I really appreciate all the efforts that each one is doing to uh, minister to others. Um, the Bible says Jesus went about doing good. You can open your Bible to Revelation. You know, last, uh, well, two Sundays ago, I, I uh, <clears throat> said, you know, we're focusing on Jesus here while we're studying Revelation. Um, and I wanted to focus on Jesus, but uh, <clears throat> then we uh, ended up <clears throat> just looking at, um, at uh, verses in Hebrews that, that, that show us what, how glorious, how glorious what we have here in the New Testament era is, uh, all that we have in Christ. And so today, uh, we're looking at Jesus some more. So the title of the message is essentially the same, although I did put a little something after devotion to Jesus, what I want to focus on today. Uh, but I want to read the first eight verses here to start off with in uh, chapter one of Revelation. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds and every eye shall see him and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Now, I expect that your Bible says uh, probably the same as mine. The heading of the book is the revelation of St. John the Divine. But this this is the revelation of what? It's not the revelation of St. John the Divine. It's not the revelation of the tribulation. It's not the revelation of the rapture. It's not even the revelation of the millennium. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And um, chapters 1 to 5 are particularly focused on Jesus Christ. Well, the whole book. But um, the... Uh, the chapters, a lot of imagery as to what is going to transpire, what transpires through the ages until the Lord comes back. But first, first five chapters, particularly focused. Uh, I uh, <clears throat> when I was thinking, when I first started thinking about this, and my mind going in this direction in the Book of Revelation, and we're studying in Sunday school, and my mind went back to. Um, I remember that I'd had an assignment at a minister study week once upon a time, uh, the, that, the opening devotional from the book of Revelation. And, and I remembered a little bit of what, uh, just a wee bit of what it was all about. Um, and I figured I had something written on it somewhere and I actually found it. Um, but the minister study week was in 1994. 
And so that was before I was keeping track of stuff on the computer. But I did find it in a box somewhere. Um, but it was focused on Jesus Christ. Uh, that was what it was. And um, I was going to bring that program along and forgot. But uh, <clears throat> I was how, how our lives need to be focused on Jesus Christ and, and, and how our lives need to be devoted to Jesus Christ. And that's kind of what I want to hone in on this morning is being devoted to Jesus Christ. And my, my mind goes, I think, from time to time of, of this book here, The Martyr of the Catacombs. How many of you have read this story? Okay, not near everybody. It's an older book. I mean, uh, the, the preface to the book says that it was, um, it was, uh, salvaged from a, a vehicle that was a, not a vehicle, a boat that was abandoned at sea back in the 1800s that was lost in a storm. And the captain passed it on to his son, who somehow, I guess, got it in print, and it's been printed, and, and CLP used to buy it from Moody and resell it while it was in public domain, so it was much more, uh, economical and, so on just to print their own. So, so CLP prints it now. But it, to me, it's just a tremendously challenging story. I'm going to read just a little bit here. Uh, it is a setting as Rome and the persecution under Decius, which is around 250 AD is when it occurred. It, it's, it's, tr- it's hard to know how much of it is factual, whether it's, it's, whether the writer put it in this setting or what. A lot of the details in the story are what happened in history, but the actual people, Marcellus and Lucillus, whether they were actual characters or not. But anyway, um, I'll just read something here. But now, okay, they were to Colosseum. Um, but now another sight drew their attention. An old man entered the arena. His form was bowed and his hair silver white with extreme age. The crowd hailed him with shouts of derision despite his majestic face and dignified manner. When he heard the laughter and ridicule of the crowd, he raised his head and spoke a few words to them. Who is he? asked Marcellus. Alexander, a teacher of the abominable Christian sect, he is so obstinate that he will not recant. Hush, he is speaking. Romans, said the old man, I am a Christian. My God died for me, and I gladly lay down my life for him. A loud outburst of yells and execrations from the mob drowned his voice. Before it was over, three panthers came bounding toward him. He folded his arms and looking up to heaven, his lips moved as if murmuring prayers. The savage beast fell upon him as he stood. In a few minutes, he was torn in pieces. Other wild animals were now let in. They dashed around the enclosure, leaped against the barrier, and in their rage assailed one another. It was a hideous scene. Into the midst of this, a band of helpless prisoners was rudely thrust. It was composed chiefly of young girls who were thus sacrificed to the bloodthirsty passions of the savage Roman mob. The sight would have moved to pity any heart in which all tender feelings had not been blighted, but pity had no place in Rome. Cowering and fearful, the young, the poor young maidens showed the weakness of human nature when confronted with death in so terrible a form. But after a few moments, faith resumed its power and raised them above all fear. As the beasts became aware of the presence of their prey and drew closer, these young maidens joined hands and, raising their eyes to heaven, sang out a solemn chant that rose clear and wondrously sweet upward to heaven. And to him that loved us, to him that washed us from our sins in his own blood, to him that made us kings and priests to our God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Hallelujah. Amen. One by one, the voices were hushed by blood, agony, and death. One by one, the shrieks of anguish mingled with the shouts of praise, 
And these fair young spirits, so heroic under suffering and faithful unto death, carry their song to join it with the psalm of the redeemed on high. But this Marcellus was a, was a, a, a true seeker, and that moved him. A few pages later, says, Marcellus leaned his head on his hands, lost in thought, but ever amid his meditations came floating the strains of that glorious melody that told a triumph over death, and to him that loved us, to him that washed us from our sins. Well, he was given a charge to seek out the Christians for the emperor because they were hiding in the catacombs. And uh, so the way the story went, he he went into the catacombs and uh, as a true seeker. And so uh, they were first terribly frightened when he showed up because they knew he had been appointed to catch him. But um, he told them, he said, a few days ago I was in the Colosseum. There I learned something about the Christians. I saw the gladiator Macer, an utterly fearless man, calmly lay down his life rather than do what he believed to be wrong. I saw an old man meet death with a peaceful smile. And above all, I saw a band of young girls give themselves up to the wild beast with a song of triumph on their lips. And to him that loved us, that washed us from our sins. Marcella's words produced a wonderful effect. The eyes of his listeners glistened with eagerness and joy. When he mentioned Macer, they looked at each other with meaningful glances. When he spoke of the old man, Honorius bowed his head. When he spoke of the children and murmured the words of their song, they turned away their faces and wept. For the first time in my life, I saw death conquered. I can meet death without terror, and so can every soldier when he comes to it on the battlefield. It is our profession. But these people rejoiced in death. Here were not soldiers, but children, who carried the same wonderful feeling in their hearts. Since then, I have thought of nothing else. Who is he that loved you? Who is he that washes you from your sins? Who is he that causes this sublime courage and hope to arise within you? What is it that supports you here? Who is he to whom you were just now praying? So, and to him that loved us, and to him that loved us, can we grasp the significance of that? You know, most religions, they live in fear of the spirits. They live in fear of the gods. And uh, their, their practice is an attempt to appease the spirits, an attempt to appease the gods. Their offerings, their sacrifices, their rites, their rituals, it's all out of fear to appease the gods. But here, the one we worship is the one that loved us. And to know him, to know him, see, Paul said, Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. The um, I think it was when I was preaching through Hebrews and one of the books I was uh, reading, uh, I think had some quotes about knowing Jesus. And I think maybe this one was in there. We shall find in Christ everything we need for a life of joy and strength and final victory. Our one need is to know Jesus better the knowledge of the Son of God, the power of the Christian life. But the focus on Jesus, and, and in that minister's meeting uh, back in 1994, um, one of the speakers was Claire Snup, 
and he was his assignment was talk was to talk about um, troubles, abuse, and all this sort of thing. And uh, there was another topic, maybe something along that line. And I was thinking, you know, the what we have to do is we have to maintain our focus on Jesus. And I kind of mentioned that in, in in one of my in one of the presentations I had. Um, from Genesis three to Revelation twenty one, there's pain. There's pain, and uh, and the origin of pain is Satan. And the solution, the cure to pain, is Jesus Christ. And at the end of the book of Revelation, pain is taken away by God. Now, who who can take away the pain in this life? And it's only Jesus Christ. It, it's a little bit like sin. Um, we're not freed totally from sin in this life. We're not freed from the presence of sin, but we are freed from the power of sin. And when, when I talk about pain, I'm talking about not so much physical pain as I am hurts. Um, life isn't fair. Okay, like for Corey, I mean, it was a tremendous... Uh, Disappointment let down to him when the judge stuck him with five years. The judge could have given him 15, but he also could have let him out. Uh, and he, in the last year and a half, really turned his life around. But he had some serious charges against him. And so, but it was a terrible disappointment. But, and then so that was the hearing was in the morning and I visited him in the afternoon then and he was really upset. And he did finally calm down some, but I told him, you know, you have nothing to gain by throwing in the towel I said you just have to keep moving forward and um, so I want to go see him tomorrow hopefully if he's just because he's going to get transferred pretty soon now once some once their sins they get transferred and I suppose first stop will be middle river but where he'll go from there I guess we can keep praying because you know they evaluate him and then how they evaluate him depends on where they send him and he said with all the strikes he got against him he's afraid they'll send him to some rather tough prison and uh, you know and it's like he says what good's that going to do him but um, he just has to keep moving forward with Jesus Christ. And, and, and so, okay, we're not in prison, but we do face disappointments in life. We face things that, well, that's just the way life is. Things that we think aren't fair uh, or things that maybe are fair, but they're still tough. Uh, just recently, um, somebody made this comment, um, and I forget these, the exact um, situation, but... Uh, life is messy. And then he said, life is messier without Christ. And uh, that's pretty well the way it is. The believer suffers nom normally. Now, physically, we don't suffer as much as some, but the believer normally suffers all kinds of abuse and injustice, but he takes it victoriously because he is serving the sovereign creator, the master of the universe. In this puff of time, there is pain. Then in all eternity, there is no pain for the believer. So that's, that's what we see in the book of Revelation. I like, I'm going to finish that chapter because we see Christ. And I know we had it in Sunday school, but uh, a vision. And my, my Bible has the um, chapters divided into paragraphs and it has headings for the paragraphs. And for the rest of this, well, sections, not just paragraphs. This section, my, uh, the way my Bible is divided out, 
Uh, it's got three paragraphs from verses 9 through 20, but it has one heading for that section. A vision of the Son of Man. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I'm Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And this is either the second or third time already that that's given in this chapter. Alpha, Omega, beginning, end, which was and is and is to come. I think is what it says. The first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and to Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, to Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. His feet likened to fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice is the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. <clears throat> and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. <clears throat> are we or am I so overwhelmed with the with the uh, glory, the intensity, the supremacy of his being that I fall at his feet as dead? You know, we, we uh, tend to think more of the Abba-Father relationship. And, and, and it says, he said, fear not. And um, Myrna Shank uh, one time collected uh, 365 fear nots out of the scriptures, one for every day if you want them. Um, and, and so I treasure that relationship, that Abba-Father relationship. But we need, we need uh, Revelation 1.17 also. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Um, and so we need to see him the way he's described here also, like his eyes were as a flame of fire. His voice is the sound of many waters. His countenance as the sun shineth in strength. And so we fall in amazement and wonder at his feet. And like Job, Job said, uh, Now mine eye seeth thee, therefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. And that's part of devotion. That is part of devotion. In each of the seven churches, the way Christ described himself, it says, he walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. That was Ephesus, Smyrna. These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. Pergamos. These things saith he which hath a sharp sword with two edges. Thyatira. These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. Sardis, these things saith he that hath the seven spirits and the seven stars. Philadelphia, 
He that, okay, these things saith he that is holy, he that is true. He that hath the key of David, he that openeth, no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. Holy and true. And then Laodicea. These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God.